Radio TFS number 25, Team Test with Anthony Borton. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing very well, and yourself? Very good, thank you. It's just a just a quiet show, just the two of us sitting down and having a quick chat today. Hope that's okay with you. Look, that sounds fine, although I certainly will miss uh, Mickey and Paul. Yeah, well, we'll catch them next time. Uh, fortunately, it's a, a little early in the morning for them, so they didn't quite make out of bed when we were recording this conversation. Yeah, why don't I just do, I'll, I'll introduce you to everybody. I've got your bio here from the website, so is all right if I read that out? Please do. So, um, Anthony Bourne is the ALM practice lead for Enhance ALM Limited, an Australian consulting and training company specialising in application lifecycle management and Microsoft Visual Studio Team System. He's been working with Visual Studio Team System full-time since 2005. Anthony has worked with a variety of companies ranging in size from just three employees up to some of Australia's largest companies and financial institutions. Anthony is the lead Microsoft Technical Readiness Instructor in Australia for Visual Studio and has presented at the Microsoft launch events of both VSTS 2005 and 2008. Anthony is, of course, a fellow Microsoft MVP, a certified Scrum Master, a member of the INETA Speakers Bureau. He's also president of the Queensland VSTS User Group and maintains a blog at www.myvstsblog.com. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you very much. So That sounds quite a lot when you read it out like that. It does, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, when you have to listen to my voice for 20 seconds, it can get quite boring. <laughs> so um, why don't you explain a bit, a little bit about what you do, you know, with, before we get into the meat of the conversation about talking about team tests. Do you want to talk a bit about, you know, what you do with Enhance ALM? Because I've, I've known you for quite a while as an MVP, but why don't you talk about what you do out there in Australia? No worries. Um, well, I guess I, I run a, uh, an ALM practice that's based in, in Brisbane, and that keeps me um, quite busy uh, doing a lot of travel around Australia as well. And I basically work with organisations to help them adopt team system um, and enhance their application lifecycle management practices, their processes and so on. Um, from the bio, I've, I've pointed out that I work with um, both very small teams right up to the large teams. I think it's very easy for people to associate the use of um, VSTS with particularly large teams and you'll remember some of the huge numbers that Grant was talking about on your show recently mm-hmm. um, and I guess I also wanted to look at the other end of the spectrum and say that it certainly offers value and benefits um, to even those very small teams um, so that's why I've included that information in there. It's not just the, the, the top end of town but uh, certainly um, the low end of town can benefit a lot they're often ones that are most resource constrained and anything you can do with them to automate processes and make things um, certainly less labor intensive offers a lot of benefits there. Um, so, yeah, that's basically what I do. I do a, a lot of training as well. So I've been a Microsoft certified trainer since 95 um, and on the certification trail. I think uh, I did MCP exam 001 way back in 93. Wow. So that, that, that goes back. <laughs> I like what you're saying about the small companies because, you know, they often get forgotten about somewhat, I think, when Microsoft's looking at requirements and things. They tend to focus on big enterprises that they deal with and, and, and themselves, you know, because they're obviously a huge company. And some of the requirements of the little people, it, it, it's nice for, you know, MVPs like yourself to speak up on their behalf and some of the mailing lists. I guess we've got a lot of micro um, ISVs here in Australia. So these are the, the smaller software development shops. And, uh, you know, if you certainly look at the, the dog food statistics that Brian Harry was um, blogging about. And, you know, it's, it's always fascinating to read those really huge numbers. But again, um, I wouldn't come anywhere near those numbers, even with some of our larger customers. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's, it's just important out there to say, 
guys, even if they're, you know, for small teams, it's well worth considering. And I suppose the work group edition of TFS today um, certainly helps in terms of the, the, the cost or the, the entry cost to get into the team system. Um, and hopefully we'll see something exciting around that with the, the 2010 release too. Yeah, we'll see. The problem, obviously, with the current one is, you know, there's this high, um, like, ramp, isn't there, in price? You know, you get the, the workgroup edition, which is good for five users, you know, included in your MSDN subscription. But the second you get a sixth person added to your team, that sixth person suddenly becomes very expensive for a small company because they've got to go buy a real version of TFS. Oh, exactly. Um and I've been a, a campaigner for a while to sort of try to push that five up just a little bit. But I guess no matter what number you choose, you're, you're always going to want to get more for, for nothing. And I mean, the value of the product certainly there. So it's, it's, it's hard to argue that you want more for nothing when you actually realize that the value you're getting is, is so substantial. Indeed. I know you do a lot of stuff with um, user groups down in Australia as well, don't you? I mean, you you said in the bio there that you run the Queensland VSTS user group, but I've, I've seen you talking around at a few different ones. What What's the uh, what's the .NET community like in Australia? I guess um, we're really lucky down here. We're a very, I think Australia is a very pro.NET environment. It's very .NET friendly. Um, if you have a look at it, I think... Um, uh, to put it into perspective, I think the Australian population is less than um, the population of Texas, for example, um, yet we still have over 50 user groups focused on, on Microsoft technologies, which I think is fantastic. Um, the Queensland VSTS user group, as far as I know, has been the longest um, continu- continual running VSTS user group in the world, unless I'm mistaken. That's been running now since uh, 2006. Uh, and that's that's just been going really, really well. Again, I suppose in the Australian marketplace, your IT centres tend to be more in the Sydney and, and Melbourne um, uh, geographies, um, Brisbane being a lot smaller in size. To, to be able to sort of maintain interest in a, a user group with such a narrow focus, I think, has been, um, been quite good. Um, that said, over the last two months, I think I've done six user group talks and a, and a code camp weekend. So wow. um I've certainly been busy in that space. And one of the things I quite like about your user group is that you do uh, breakfast meetings, brekkies, is that right? We do, we do. You've done your homework. Um, When I started the user group, um, I had uh, some assistance from from our friend Chuck Sterling, um, Ah. who I'll consider to be an honorary Australian, given that he was here for seven years. So with um, with Chuck's help, uh, I started these, um, what what do I call them, VSTS tech brekkies. So for one month, we met every Friday morning for breakfast uh, and talked about VSTS. And that was really to gauge the amount of interest um, that people had in a VSTS-focused user group. And I was astounded to have over 50 people attend that, um, the fourth of those sessions, um, you know, for people to get up, get dressed, get into the city um, for, for a 7.30 start is really quite amazing, particularly when you look at the demographic of developers that tend to you know, work the exact opposite to that time frame. Um, so based on that information, we kicked off with a brekkie group. Um, and I suppose I wanted to, to give the local community some options. There's, there's so many great things to look at doing of an evening. So, And it was also pretty difficult getting uh, the Microsoft Theatre to hold the event in. So we, we decided to go with the, with the morning time slot, some croissants, some muffins, some orange juice, a bit of coffee. Uh, and that's, that's proven to be very, very good for us. Yeah, it's something I've always wanted to try and do, just because, you know, People like me, you've got families and people like yourself, you know, you've got families to go home to at night. It's You, you have to get a special pass for staying out late 
and and you know and attending some work event but you can normally get away uh, you know get into work a bit earlier so i i thought it might be popular but yeah whenever i whenever i suggest it to somebody they're like 7 30 <laughs> so. uh, look, i agree and, and i think if, if you think you might be able to get that pass out maybe two nights a month um and the op- the options that we've got certainly here in brisbane alone with um you know the sharepoint user groups the ms10 user group there's a scrum user group an infrastructure user group um you know there's just there's so many you end up having to pick and choose when in fact often they've all got really great content so just to just to have a, a morning segment there i thought was uh, was was a good option, a good choice, and it's it's proven um, quite successful for us. Uh, although every now and again you get your doubts, so we've just done a, a three month trial of, of evening user groups, and it was interesting to see a different group of people come along. Um, and then you start thinking, well, can we do both? And then it just gets all too difficult. Yeah. So I know you're doing um, Tech at Australia be coming up soon next month. Got some sessions there, I yeah, hope. Yeah. Oh, I do. Um, so for, for TechEd Australia coming up in, I think it's the second week of September, and then TechEd New Zealand the week after. Um, for the Australian TechEd, I'm doing a speaking spot on um, an end-to-end ALM story. So really a session around helping organisations get started with ALM. Um, and that's that's the first thing that I want to do. And then I'm going to do a talk on some of the testing features we're going to be talking about later later in the show. Um, so that'll be really exciting. Um, so yeah, look, uh, can't wait to hopefully see uh, many Australian listeners uh, come along to to check it. It's on the Gold Coast, so for me that's only about an hour's drive south, uh, and a lovely part of the world. So that that shouldn't be too bad at all. So why don't we talk about Team Test? I know in um, in the current you know 2008 version, um, it was kind of one of the two to pick from. You had Team Test and Team Developer, and and now that Team Developer's got both the developer stuff and the database professional stuff in, that's obviously very valuable. Um, well, I tended to recommend that people got some Team Test additions as well in their company if they can, because some of the functionality in today's Team Test is pretty good. So why don't you why don't you give us a quick rundown of what what we've got in today? Well, I suppose. Um... You've hit the nail right on the head, and it's quite interesting. You didn't even mention the third alternative there. <laughs> I yeah, think well. that says a lot for, for We'll talk for about that, that when 2010 comes out, shall we? <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, so, look, in the current, current version of um, Visual Studio um, Team Test, what you find is you've got uh, some good features there around web testing and some great test, um, features around the web load testing, and they're, they're both reasonable offerings. Now, I won't, I won't speak any more highly of them. I think reasonable is a, a fair thing to say. Where you look at some of the competing products that have certainly had a lot more time in that market segment, uh, they've got a lot more strength. They've had a lot more history there. Um, I think the Microsoft release in 2008 wasn't too bad at all. Um, and you're quite right that particularly with the load testing and the scale-out options there with the, the load test agent, um, that was quite good and and brought testing more into, well, sort of gave a better visibility in the team. Um, but then I, I think given that the testing was limited to the HTTP layer, I think that took a lot of getting used to for people. So people that often go in there hoping that it would do cross-browser testing. Um, and of course, we're somewhat disappointed to learn that it really had nothing to do with the browser whatsoever. Um, and that was some of the limitations of the current product. So uh, I think that's it's been shown a lot of love in this in this next release, and that's um, certainly something you can see see today. What have your experiences been with the with the test skew? 
Yeah, it's pretty much the same. I mean, some of the functionality is very good. Um, one of the problems I do find, though, is that the current version of a test queue um, is geared towards what, what Microsoft consider a tester, which is somebody, um, you know, an SDT, is it? Senior Developer in Test is like the role in Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're very, very, very good developers who are who, who specialize in testing, in breaking stuff, you know. Um, and they're, they're quite rare to find in the enterprise. Often in the enterprise, people who test tend to be more business-focused. They're, they're testing that the application meets the business requirements, you know. So um, I, I found some of the ways, you know, you soon get into code with the current version, which or data binding. And if you try and show those concepts to a tester in an enterprise in many companies, that you know, they get a bit frightened currently is certainly my experience. I don't know about you. Look, I agree entirely. And and basically the offering for a, a non-developing tester, um, I, I agree with you. And the problem was you very, very soon had to drop back into a coded test to do even some of the, some of the really simple things that I found. Um, and the minute you drop back into the code, um, that's when that's when it sort of rules out a lot of testers. Um, and it's quite interesting that if you look at like um, MSF or any of those sorts of um, things, the, the first two roles that you should be splitting apart are going to be the tester and the developer. Um, so it's really interesting that with the, the next release, Microsoft have gone out there and I suppose they've looked more closely at the bigger market and found that over 70% of testing today is being done manually by what they call generalist testers. Um, I think there's a, um, there's a blog post there. I'll get that, um, that link uh, over to you for the, for the website. Um, anyway, there's this great little slide that shows the spectrum of the generalist on the left-hand side moving across to the specialist. And Microsoft's offerings have really been around that sort of specialist, strong coding um, sort of skill set, which is their own in-house skill set, when in fact the industry is far more heavily weighted down the other end. And for them to sort of go out there, do that homework, realize that, and that certainly influenced what they're offering now in the 2010 release. And that is that the, the most compelling feature, the, most of the functionality that we're going to see is really going to be weighted around the generalist in the, in the well, I was going to say the bottom end. That's, that, that, I don't know that that really... The business the end rather than the technical end, I, I tend to Ooh, you, you said that very well. Um, and, and again, there's things like the coded UI test back up in the specialist area. Um, it's certainly very, very compelling in, in that space. So I think there's certainly something there for everyone. Um, but the area that's been neglected most in the past is getting most of the love this time. So, yeah, I mean, in this release, um, the testing like feature set was one of the core pillars of of the whole you know team system 2010 release that was one of the three things they really wanted to focus on so why don't we drill into some of the um the 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 features in this you know for, for say some of the manual testers and people and then you know your opinions on them now you've had a chance to play with them for a little bit yeah, certainly. So let's, let's start by identifying um, the areas that exist today. We have things like um, naturally it's all built on Team Foundation Server. We pick up a lot of the reporting out of that. Things like load testing, our web testing, of course, unit testing. Um, they're, they're all there in 2008. Um, across the board, they've all been enhanced in the 2010 release. So I'll start by just setting that that basis. Um, but then if we go into some of the particular, the, you know, the, the brand new areas. 
firstly, let me introduce um, what was previously codenamed Kamano, and that's now our Microsoft Test and Lab Manager product. Uh, and that's that's been a huge step forward, even just in the fact that it exists. So one of the things that I've found testers have struggled with in the past has been the fact that they've had to go in and open Visual Studio. Um, now, first and foremost, they, they say we're not coders, so why do we have to have Visual Studio on our machine? Why do we have to have this experience that's really optimized around a developer? And that is opening Visual Studio, using the Team Explorer, going and uh, working with that UI, which is not really intuitive for people that, that you know, aren't developers or that don't live and breathe in, in the code space. So giving testers their own dedicated UI, I think, has been a huge, huge improvement. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. And um, So again, that's our, our Microsoft Test and Lab Manager product. Um, so that's what, the, what that basically allows us to do. It's a lovely little WPF application. Um, did you get a chance to use it before Beta 1, Martin? I did, and I struggled with some of the navigation things, but it, it, it seems to have changed a lot in Beta 1 and looks a lot prettier and seems a bit easier to use now. What do you think? Yeah, they've certainly done a good job with it. So um, I think that was one of the blog posts um, that I noticed on the Team System t- Test blog. They talked about the... Um, the evolution of the UI design of Test and Lab Manager. That was that was actually quite an interesting little read where they showed us um, iteration one, where the test case management was inside Visual Studio, and they sort of talk about the iterations and bringing it out into what we see today. And yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a, a bad little read in terms of um, getting their perspective on the evolution of the, the particular product. So having that tool available to them so they haven't got to um, jump into Visual Studio, I think it's certainly been well received. Uh, and that allows them to go in there. It allows them to do all of their planning. Um, so test case management is one of the big improvements in 2010 where they can go in there and at the very beginning of the life cycle, they can go and they can create their test plans. They can work with test suites. They can go in and create their test configurations, their test matrices, all those things that would be bread and butter for a tester that they've really had no support in in working with in the current release. Um, So the test case management's been a, a huge, huge improvement there. Or even so just the fact about, that it's using the right words, you know what I mean? <laughs> like test plans. <laughs> and, you know, these are just things that testers understand, the testers kind of testers I work with, you know. And, and so this is all geared about helping you manage your manual tests in such a way, you know, so you can work with them quicker and easier. Is that is that what this is for? Oh, absolutely. Um, and again, using a vernacular that those testers are most familiar with. So, for example, you, you go into the... Um, testing center in Microsoft Test and Lab Manager, and that allows you to go in there and create a test plan. Now, that's that's a very standard thing for people to do, and that allows you to go in there and define what you want to test. It's the thing that shows the progress that you're making through the test plan. Um, it allows you to go in there and specify your test configurations. For example, I want to do uh, a certain uh, level of testing using Vista and IE7 or using Windows Server 2008 and maybe IE8. Um, so I can basically specify those configurations and management and manage them. I can then go in there and basically um, create my test matrix and I can say that these are the tests that I want to run against these particular configurations. Uh, now, previously I found that a lot of testers were doing all of those things in external tools. They were really being forced out into things like 
um, spreadsheets. I think spreadsheets were very heavily used. Yeah, definitely. Spreadsheets and Word. And, and they, just didn't get, they didn't get a lot of love out of um, out of 2008. And if you're lucky, they may have stored those artifacts in the SharePoint document repository, but that was really about it. Um, so now that they can go in there and use those things, it's an intuitive interface for them to be able to do that. Um, that's a huge step forward. You can go in there and work with test suites. So you can go in there and basically group all of your test cases, um, you know, group them based on a requirement um, or a particular feature that you want to test or uh, a particular set of priorities. I can go in there and say I want to create a new test suite and automatically put any test cases that match this query into that particular suite. And, and as new test cases are written, if they match the parameters for that particular query, they become part of that test suite. Um, you know, all those sorts of, all those things just are going to make the experience um, so nice for, for, for our testers. Aloha. This is Jeff McPherson, Dr. Tiki from Tiki Bar TV. Whenever I worry about how I'm going to learn all that crazy computery goodness in Visual Studio Team System 2010, I listen to Radio TFS. Cheers, guys. Take it away. So what are the manual tests? How are they actually stored? What's the storage behind them? It's an excellent question. So let's look at what we're familiar with today. So today we store all of our, or any of our um, trackable artifacts as, as simple work items. So we have our bugs defined as work items, our scenarios, our risks and issues and so forth. So basically our test cases are really just work items. So those work items can then be linked um, and they can be reported on query, just like the work items that we're used to today. So um, and that just basically makes it a heck of a lot easier. It also means that while our testers get to see a lot of these things through this wonderful new UI, our, you know, our developers and the rest of the team perhaps that may well be using the Visual Studio UI are also able to go and see these things and work with them. Um, on, that, on that point, I suppose, uh, one of the great things is um, trying to raise the bar in terms of the quality of the bugs that are being reported. So if you can imagine when we're in the test runner and we're going through and we're working through a, a manual test that, we've, um, that we're creating, so we go through and we may say that um, let's go and open up this web application, type this username in, type this password in. So you work your way through these steps um, and then suddenly uh, we're taking them off as a path and a path and then we're going to fail a step. So what's happened in the past is often the developer, sorry, the tester will record a lot of that information or record some of that information, raise that as a bug and send it over the fence to the developer. The developer will typically have a look at it and say, that's not a bug. Did you, did you find that? Oh, <laughs> it's my yeah, yeah. Of it's not a bug. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I, I get it all the time in my own tests. You say, well, you know, I can't reproduce that. Um, and they've missed out <laughs> a critical, you know, I'm running this on uh, Solaris, you know, <laughs> or something like this. Or uh, I'm running this on the second, you know, on a leap year or something, you know, or around the time zone change. Just weird things like that. That you never actually quite have because they didn't know it was relevant to capture. What ends up happening is we tend to get a lot of this inefficient communication occurring, and you spot on it in that often the tester won't be aware of what may what we may well consider as very relevant facts that we need to assist us in reproducing those issues. 
Well, just uh, even what version eventually. they're using. You know, quite often I get, you know, a test will be testing against, say, an older version, and you try and reproduce, and you're reproducing against, because you you know, you're reproducing against a newer version of a code, and you can't find the problem because it's already been fixed or something like that. So even just versions and things are interesting. Oh, absolutely. And, and I suppose, you know, you, you mentioned uh, an alternate operating system. So what operating system, what service pack, how much RAM have they got? Um, it could be, you know, screen resolution could be a relevant issue. Now, wouldn't it be nice to get all of that information? And, and quite often we don't get the information because it's very time consuming for the, for the tester to go and record all of that information, um, which they may not deem to be at all relevant anyway. So that's one of the problems that we have. Fortunately, in the new test runner, what we're able to do is we can raise those bugs directly from the test runner. Um, I can go in there and say that I want to go and attach um, a screen capture. So with, from within that interface, I can click a button. I can then um, capture the entire screen. I can go and um, capture just a rectangle and automatically attach that into the bug report itself. And now we've been able to do those things in the past, but never with quite that amount of ease. Um, so, for example, I've seen customers will go and do a screenshot and take it into Paint and then trim it in Paint, and sometimes they'll go and paste it into a Word document and then manually attach the Word document, which you sort of you scratch your head about a little bit. Um, I always liked um, uh, TextNet did something called Snagit. Have you ever used the the Team System um, accessory for Snagit? Yeah, Snagit's great. Um, so the Team System accessory in Snagit was fantastic because you could use Snagit to capture that part of the screen. And then you could just go up there and say output to team system, and that it you could pre-configure um, it so that it would automatically open up a, a bug work item type and attach that um, that screen capture as an attachment to the bug. So that was really nice. Um, none of those. I mean, I suppose we don't need those things now with this new interface. The UI that you're using to do the tests. Um, to manage those tests allows you to simply take those screen captures because that's a, a very critical part. Where, I mean, if a developer can see the screen that's happening on, can see the error message, um, it well, I suppose it validates that it actually happened as well in a particular <laughs> type of error. Um, now, that's um, getting back to the system information. There are these things called data collectors, and data collectors are a, a key part of much of the new technology in 2010. Um, now, those data collectors are, are highly extensible, so you can also go out there and create your own. Uh, at this stage, I think the plans to have about eight of those data collectors, um, I think, in, in beta one at the moment. Now, what a data collector does, as the name implies, it takes care of collecting a lot of the information. So, for example, if we choose the system info data collector, imagine our, our testers testing away and they're using the test runner and they want to go and raise a bug. So, what happens is if we configure it to use, and you can configure the data adapters that you, uh, sorry, the data collectors that you want to use, um, I can automate the process of capturing things like logged on username, computer name, the OS, um, the version of the OS, the amount of physical memory available, the screen resolution, the version of IE, the processor speed, all manner of things. And I can automatically capture all of that information and include it in the bug. So the actual tester really has, you know, there's no overhead in collecting that information. In the bug report itself, there is a system info tab. You click that tab and the developer is able to see all of that rich system information with no actual overhead in the, in the capturing of it. And I just think that's fantastic. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, some of your other data collectors you've got there, we can record a video. So as the um, the testers working their way through, often perhaps it could be exploratory testing. Um, we, we we walk through, we we click on buttons, we type things in. All of that's recorded in a video, and we have these bookmarks automatically um, associated with each of the interactions. So, for example, um, if the video happens to be five minutes long. A developer hasn't necessarily got to watch the entire five minutes. They're able to go in there. They're able to look at each of the interactions. They're all time-stamped with a, with a, they appear as a hyperlink. So I can go two minutes and 23 seconds into the video, which was when the user clicked the submit button, for example. Um, and again, that's just another example of a data collector. This one's uh, collecting video information. Um, and I think you've got the um, diagnostic trace collector so that, that provides our historic debugging. Uh, yeah, all of that infrastructure is, is very, very exciting, and the fact that it's extensible means that you can you can build your own on there. And it's just reducing the friction, isn't it, as well, of capturing this data. It's really easy for a screenshot or even a screen video to, to be attached to the work item, which means as a developer you'll get more of them. So that's fantastic. And I suppose it, it's it's really reducing the time to you know find and fix those those bugs or issues. And and you know often I mean I haven't got the stats in front of me, but the amount of time a developer spends looking for, you know, looking for those bugs and issues and the amount of time it takes to then go in there and get them fixed, get the patch rolled out, get it back out the door. If we can greatly reduce that by having these higher quality bug reports, then I think that's just a win-win for everyone. And it, uh, by reducing the friction that you made mention of, uh, you know, a lot of that we're removing the frustration between the, you know, the inevitable bug ping pong today between the, the tester and the developer. You know, if there's a bug, no, I can't re- reproduce it, but it is a bug and I can do it. And uh, all of that inefficiency can be taken out of the equation. So very, very compelling. Definitely. You get a lot of these around, you know, in UI programming, you tend to get you get a lot of these around like race conditions in the UI and things like that, where it only happens intermittently. And they're the worst ones to track down and the ones you're like least likely to kind of believe the tester that it happens because they can, they, you can walk over to their desktop and they can do it again and it'll work this time. And, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, you just did it wrong. But if they've got the video there, it's like, you know, proof that it did that this is what i did and this is what happened i promise <laughs> uh, exactly right uh, i'll often say that you you'll go back over there to see the the error or the issue they want to show you and, and while you're watching of course it works and oh, yeah. I, I, I claim that i'm sprinkling magic dust on the keyboard no, it drives my wife insane when i just walk up to a computer and it starts working again for her <laughs> 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 just have to be in the same room it's and aura. exactly something like that <laughs> Uh, I think if I can move on to the next one, um, some of the coded UI testing, or I suppose the UI testing itself, um, there's another great blog post on the, um, the team test blog that talks about the record and playback engine and the, the, the nitty-gritty of how it works, which is quite interesting. Uh, but what we're able to do is as we go in there and record our interactions with the UI, and, and again, it's all wizard-driven. I can go in there and say I want to create a... Um, a new UI test. Um, I want to record these actions. And um, I think um, Brian Keller did a really good uh, 10-4 show. I think it was episode, oh, let me check, it was episode 18. Um, so that's at shrinkster.com slash 17EF. So 17 Echo Foxtrot. 
Um, he's done a, a really great video on functional UI testing that shows some of these things. And he goes in and creates a little, uh, or he has a, a WPS calculator, and he goes and you know, records some tests. And what you can do is you can go in there and record your interactions, which is great. You sort of see them um, pop up as they're being recorded. You can then go in and play those back again. And one of the one of the analogies I liked was um, TiVo for testers. So imagine you go through a sequence of 20 steps and it fails on 18. Now, they have been recorded, those actions, and you can go back and you can say, well, look, just go and play steps 1 to 17 for me. I don't want to do those again. We haven't modified anything there. Just take me up to the step just before we, we had the bug before. And it can go back and do that. So the tester doing manual testing isn't always required to go back and start at the beginning unnecessarily. Um, that's that's a great uh, a great saving. Yeah, and this is what I like. Now, it's not it's not getting rid of um, it's not trying to fully automate the tests because you can never fully automate testing. It's about trying to make the manual testers faster. You know, and like the a login screen, for example, how many times you know do you get in a test plan? Uh, login as such and such and such and such. Get to this point in the UI, and then then branch. You know, then go test this, then go test that. Sort of it can take out all the all the mon- monotonous tasks of getting to that point, and just let you go from here. You know, I just want to test this little branch now. That, that'd be fantastic improvement. Oh, it's great, and I suppose in the same way that we look for reusability and we refactor our code, um, they're able to do the same thing. So we can have these libraries of shared steps. Uh, so if we have this re- repeating process of, of logging on, I can create a library of shared steps for the logon process and just reuse those um, through any of the other tests that I'm working on. So that's um, what so, the know, shared, they're, they're... Step, shared step set is. That's what the shared step set is. You know, the work <laughs> item type when you right click in, in, in a new, you know, and say add work item. I saw that and I was like, what's that for? That's exactly what it's for. So it's it's refactoring of those those steps uh, across multiple manual tests, and it it works a treat. Um, the other thing I suppose um, that I really loved about this was you can go and record the steps and play them back, but then you've also got to add validation steps. So let's pick um, let's just pick the Windows calculator. I want to go in there and I want to say two, and I want to click on times, I want to click on nine, and I want to click on equals, and I want to see eighteen in that text box. Recording the steps and playing it back is one thing, but for my test to pass, one of my requirements is that that particular control in its text property has a value of 1.8. Now, what you can do is you can record the test, and then using the UI control locator, I can simply drag a little target over the controls um, in the application, in this case, over that text box, and it highlights it, and it then... Uh, under the covers goes and determines exactly what that control is. It looks at the control hierarchy, and then it displays the list of all of the properties of that control. So for my test to work, I can go in there and say that this text box must have a, a text property equal to 18, or I can say that it's in, um, you know its enabled property has got to be false, or its visible property has got to be this, or um, it, it lists all of those properties of the object for you. And your validation can be any combination of those settings, which which is just extraordinary. And it's all done through the UI. I mean, a non-coding tester can do all of these things. Cool. That's what I was, just what I was about to ask. You know, are we starting to get into writing VB or C sharp code here, or or is it something that a a business user could could do with a bit of training? 
Uh, certainly in the, in the realms of business user and tester, no question about it. We then move into coded UI tests. So we're certainly not um, taking that capability away. In fact, that's been significantly improved. So any of the tests that we're talking about, we can go in there um, we, from any of the manual test recordings or our direct recordings. I can go and say, I want to make this into a coded UI test, which will then provide either the C Sharp or the VB.NET code that I want. Um, and then I can go in there as, as a coder and manipulate those tests run in, in any way I like. I mean, that's the, the power of moving it then into code is that we've got the ability to do things like our data binding and, and a whole lot more. So uh, the, the developers have certainly not forgotten there, and that's what we see in the, the high end around the test specialist. Um, in terms of our platforms as well, uh, we really only had a web offering, and that was at the HTTP level in 2008. So in 2010, we've now got the ability to do uh, all of this rich UI testing around IE7, IE8, um, HTML, AJAX. There's no support for IE6. I'm afraid under the covers that just doesn't cut the mustard. Um, so we can do our, our web UI testing now. So, I mean, it would be nice to tick every, every box there and say that um, pretty much every UI is covered. The underlying, under the covers, all of that's highly extensible. So... If a particular vendor comes out with their own types of controls and things, you'll be able to go and um, hook into those extension points uh, and allow um, the automated testing to work with these you know, other interfaces, the ones that I hadn't mentioned there. So when a, when a tester raises a bug, you know, in your product. Mm-hmm. Not, not that that ever happens in my code, obviously. But say they raise a book in sort of <laughs> your code. And what does that What does that look like to me as a developer? What do I What do I see? What do I get? Well, basically, you get a bug work item type, or sorry, a, a bug work item um, that can be assigned to you, much like you've been able to see today, but a heck of a lot richer. So, as you know, Martin, the developer, king of the bugs, um, you'll you'll see a lot of these uh, in your inbox, yeah, no doubt. And <laughs> so, what you see is, um, you know, all of the information that you get today. Plus, you'll have things like the screenshots. You'll have things like links to the video. You'll have. Um, you can also have all of the action tests, the test cases. You'll be able to see exactly what steps the tester was working through. Um, in, in a textual format, in addition, of course, to the, the visual, um, the videos and the, the screenshots, you'll see that information. Um, you could potentially see the historic debugging information, which I think is you know, very, very exciting. Yeah, um, we should know, do a whole show to... about the historical debugger, I think. You know, that, that, oh, the that's, historical that's easily a show. Yeah, definitely. I'll have to yeah. get somebody on about that. Um, and if, if you're really lucky, you'll also see that little link across to the live environments. Uh, now, of course, that gets us into the, the lab management side of things, which is a, another whole show. Um, but that, that's that's very sexy where you can say, look, take me back to the, the moment in time when that occurred. And, of course, using your virtual infrastructure, um, snapshots are magically applied and you're able to then go and RDP straight onto the machines at the time that bug was reported. Um, I think the lab management product really hasn't had much press yet. You know, not many people know about it yet. So, and it's one of the things that's quite hard to beta test as well because you need, you know, you need real infrastructure for it. Oh, absolutely. So I'm, I've, I've been teaching myself system center virtual machine manager um, and how all of that works. And, and of course, just um, you know, pretty much everything I do now is on Hyper-V anyway. Um, so that's a, definitely a good story there. But uh, yeah, so I've got the test harness all set up and working and, 
it, it's, it looks amazing. Um, but again, let's, let's save that for all of this show. I think we're, we're certainly um, coming close to time now, I think. Yeah, we are. We're pushing up on time. Is there anything else about the, the test edition we should talk about, or are we, are we okay to start wrapping up, do you think? Hopefully what we've, we've talked about um, during the show today has been uh, about this really great new experience that you're going to see in the team test SKU with, with 2010. Um, what I've found in certainly uh, demonstrating this to a number of user groups and, and to a number of customers already, the number one question, what do you think it is? Go on, I have no idea. When can we start using it? Oh, no, no I have had and, that email and, a few times. Of course you have. I think we all have. So, And that's the problem. When people um, really see this, get their hands dirty and are able to have a look at it, there's been a lot of excitement around it. And, and that really is, that's the question before how much. The question is certainly when can we get it? When can we start using it? And to sort of say, well, look, um, there's a go-live license with beta 2, um, but you'll certainly have to go and follow that up and look at the, the requirements for it. Um, there's just been this, um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of enthusiasm around it. So, um, I suppose in in summarising it, we've got a brand new user interface. We've got the Microsoft Test and Lab Manager product. We've got the, the Test Runner, um, and this is this really really good story for our dedicated uh, generalist testers. Um, you know, that are doing uh, 70% of the test test work out there. Their jobs just become a heck of a lot easier. Um, they're becoming a, a much, much more well integrated part of the, the, the team system team. Uh, and I think that's going to benefit certainly not only them, um, the, the, the developers themselves, but I suppose even the customers. Um, I think everyone wins from, from what will be significantly improved quality in our applications, uh, through making the testers job a lot easier and by giving them much better tools to work with. So this all sounds brilliant. Where can I go to, to you know, to try some of this stuff and to actually uh, learn a bit more about it? There's a couple of different places. Firstly, um, obviously, and I've you've mentioned this on the show before, um, definitely get a hold of Beta 1, um, get that installed, uh, spend some time having a look at it. Um, you know, any feedback at all, you know, Microsoft love getting um, your feedback. It certainly goes into making the product a, a better product. Um, so, again, feedback through connect.microsoft.com. Um, have a look at um, the 10.4 episodes. So I think that one's probably a couple of months old now that I mentioned. Um, but that episode 18 on functional UI testing that Brian Keller did was fantastic. I think he's got one on the lab management coming up. Um that may be released by the time you're listening to this. Um, that's just, that's gold. That's about 20 minutes. It's well worth watching. That's the thing with the 10.4. Um, you know, if people aren't watching this as a little video podcast, it's a great thing because it only takes 10, 20 minutes each episode. Um, and they come out once a week and it's just highlighting different areas around, you know, Visual Studio 2010 and .NET 4, hence the name 10.4. But it's a nice, you know, nice short screencasts, aren't they, that you can watch during your lunch once a week. It's they're great. I'm just amazed by how much Brian Keller actually managed to get into that video. Um, he just doesn't take a breath. He flies through it, and it's it's really, really good content. Um, and the other thing I'd probably um, keep an eye on is the VS Team System Test blog. Um, so the guys are quite active on the blog there. Um, we can have a, look at, uh, a link for that um, on the Radio TSS site. Um, certainly, uh, certainly have a look at that. And uh, again, anyone coming to Tech in Australia, uh, come along and have a look at my session, and you'll see uh, everything we've talked about today um, on on display. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for staying up late and chatting to me. Um, it's been great talking to you as always, Anthony. And we'll um, speak to you next time on Radio TFS.